This is The Guardian. Today, when fast fashion gets supercharged, what are the consequences? We chart the rise of the Chinese clothing brand Shein. If you were in my studio right now, there is a desk covered in pieces of paper that are, have different watercolour paintings all over them. And some are big, washy sort of backgrounds and some are little, small, kind of more motive things. Nixie Killick is a fashion designer who's based in Melbourne, Australia. I start off painting those and then I digitally remix them on the computer so they become a whole other layer of dimension and kind of another jigsaw puzzle. Nixie comes from a really creative family. She grew up in the circus, and as a child, she says, she was mesmerised by the colourful costumes that the performers wore. Today, she creates psychedelic, acid-bright jackets and dresses, hoodies and tights, that have been worn by celebrities including Lady Gaga and Sia. And at festivals like Coachella, her designs just pop. I think I have a lot of people where their reactions are like, oh, I've always said, no, I couldn't wear that, I couldn't wear that, I couldn't wear that. And then they wear it and they go, oh, my God, I feel amazing. She labours over each design for months, first painting intricate patterns by hand and then transposing them to fabric. Then she builds in an interactive digital element. One of the most popular things is a biker jacket and skirt set. And, yeah, it's a combination of my paintings and um, augmented reality targets Point and shoot your phone at the target and it will activate an animation that will play in the metaverse, in mixed reality, in between you and the piece. Each piece is so distinctive that Nixie thought they couldn't be copied. So she was surprised one day recently when a fan sent her a link to a dress that was for sale on the website of the Chinese fashion company Xi'an. It looked weirdly similar to one of hers. And I checked the link and thought, oh, wow, what? And it was so heartbreaking. I kind of had, it was just that it's always the timing as well. It was the end of the day and I'd had a really incredible productive day and was like on total high and was like, oh, (laughs) that is a potent slap in the face when you sort of see your art and soul diluted into a lifeless (laughs) kind of predatory chunk of threads. Sheehan's been accused multiple times of ripping off work by independent designers, as well as big brands like Levi Strauss and Doc Martens. The Chinese fashion company is a relative newcomer to the industry, but it's now valued at 100 billion US dollars, making it worth more than Zara and H&M combined. And as the company has grown, it's caused controversy in terms of its environmental impact and the way it treats its workers. But the demand from shoppers for clothes that are cheap and immediate has made Shein seem unstoppable. And now other clothing companies are following its model. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, Shein and the rise of ultra-fast fashion. Louise Matsakis, you're a tech reporter, and Megan Tobin, you're a China reporter for the journalism nonprofit organization Rest of World. And you've been looking into Shein. And I've got to say, talking about this brand makes me feel pretty old because I'm a millennial and I haven't had adverts for it pushed to me on social media. So 
I'm clearly not quite its target audience, but this is a mammoth fashion giant, isn't it? Absolutely. At this point, Shein is one of the largest fashion companies in the world, but you're definitely forgiven for not having heard of it before because unlike H&M or Zara, it doesn't have any physical stores. It really just sort of connects to shoppers on the internet and their target audience is definitely young women in their teens and 20s sort of all over the world, really. So just how big is it? At this point, Shein is selling about as much as Zara and H&M combined in countries like the U.S. Oh, my goodness. Um, and every day they add anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 items to their app. So it's really this massive operation where you can find everything you could imagine under the sun when it comes to fashion. Louise, have you ever bought anything from there? I actually have. I'm wearing a pair of Shein pants right now. <laughs> Um, Can you describe them for us? Yes. um, They are a high-waisted pair of leggings and they sort of flare at the bottom and have uh, a little slit in them, I guess. They're kind of these these, uh, trendy trendy work-from-home pants, (laughs) I feel like is how I would describe them. How would you typify what the Shein look is then? It's kind of hard to say because Shein is so good at adapting. Basically, the way that they have become so successful is that they're able to test all of these different products at once, and then they sort of see how their customers respond. So there really is sort of a wide gamut, but I would say that really trendy, really inexpensive is sort of their model. There's not really one Shein look, but if it's affordable, if it's trending, they are sure to have it. So it's probably worth thinking about it more like a marketplace than a shop, really. There's just a bit of everything on there. And Megan, I downloaded the app a few days ago and I've wasted hours now scrolling on it because there's just so much stuff on there. The app is really so engaging. And so when you're looking for something particular, it becomes super addictive because you can say, oh, I really want, you know, a pair of mauve tennis shoes. And you look at one example and then they serve you 20 others that are just a little bit different. And that's, I think, one of their like keys to success is that they're really able to keep you hooked, keep you scrolling and really target exactly what you're looking for. A lot of Western shopping companies have sort of emphasized convenience, right? Like Amazon's one click buying, right? They sort of want to get you on the website and get you to check out as quickly as possible. Whereas I think Shein is more about time spent. They want to make, you know, the app a welcoming experience, you know, just to give you sort of a vivid example. When I ordered from Shein recently, I got an email saying, you know, click to confirm that your order was delivered and we'll give you some points, right? So they're trying to get me to click on this link, go back to the website, and then I'll be rewarded for confirming that my delivery was there. And then I'll have a discount that I can immediately use, right? So they're really trying to sort of reward consumers for spending time on the app. And they're trying to make that, you know, as an engaging as experience as possible. So where did this brand come from? What's its origin story? Shein was founded by Xu Yangtian. His name's also Chris Xu. Um, And before he started the company, he was actually an SEO expert or an expert in search engine optimization. So he knows a lot about how to get consumers' attention, how to get your attention online, and how to keep it. 
So the company is known for being extremely secretive and opaque. And this isn't just the case in reporting in English on the company. It's also the case in Chinese. So a reporter in China a couple of years ago contacted the CEO for an interview. And he said not only would he not take the interview, but they better hire a PR firm because if they printed anything inaccurate, you know, they might get sued. So there's definitely been kind of this cloud of opacity that has surrounded them. Um, and we did connect with them for this story. Um, but there's several kind of contradictory reports out there about when even what year they were founded. The company officially told us that they were founded in 2012 and, you know, reportedly started selling wedding dresses, but the company did not acknowledge that as part of their origin story. There's never been sort of an inside Shein story where they, you know, opened up their factories or opened up, you know, access to their executives or anything like that. And I think the reason they did that or chose that path is that they didn't have to. The way that they were able to grow is that they just went straight to targeting their audience. So they have this really powerful social media and advertising machine where they were running, you know, hundreds of Facebook ads. They were running hundreds of Instagram ads. They were partnering with thousands of influencers around the world. This video is very kindly sponsored by Shein, which I'm so grateful for. I've been working with them for a little while now. Super chef's kiss because it has built in, what are these called, a booby pad? So in today's video, I've got another massive Shein haul for you guys. And today is all about Shein dresses. By one estimate, in India, they were partnering with, you know, several thousand influencers just in that country alone at one point. So it was really this sort of system where they avoided sort of connecting with the normal gatekeepers of the fashion and tech industries. And instead they said, we're just going to go right for the audience that we're targeting. We're going to start partnering with contestants on The Bachelor. We're going to start partnering with all of these micro influencers who would be wearing Shein in their Instagram posts or their TikTok videos. And it would say, you know, type in Carly for a 10% discount. Please. Use my discount code, you will get 15% off your carts. I also have a discount code, which is Karina15. For all of you guys in North America, so make sure to hit that like button. Consider so we'll be leaving the discount code in the description down below, along with everything that I've mentioned today. They were really good at sort of going for exactly who they wanted to reach and, and nobody else. Looking into Shein's business model, something I found interesting is that unlike, say, Zara, which has its own factories around the world, Shein doesn't have any. Instead, all of its clothes are made at these independent, smaller factories. How does that relationship work? In China, Shein works with roughly 6,000 suppliers and in reporting this story, we worked with an amazing freelance reporter who's based in Beijing. Her name's Wenxi Chen. And she spoke with a couple of suppliers and garment industry workers for the story um, and really got to kind of paint a picture of what this is like. They're able to ask for pretty quick turnaround times where um, Zara might ask for, you know, a thousand of one particular item to be produced in 30 days. Um, Shein might ask for just a hundred and to be produced in as short as a week. And so that obviously changes production timelines for factories um, and, and squeezes them, you know, in terms of how quickly they can produce the output. And in terms of working out what customers want and getting that all done so quickly, as you've explained, how does their algorithm actually work? How do they find out what people want? 
What Shein does is that they unify all of their factories together using a proprietary app. So it's this software that all of the suppliers use and what the app tracks is what people are buying and what people are not buying. So they can immediately tell their suppliers, you know, the butt lifting camo leggings are selling really well. Please start making more. So, you know, when you see that there are these 7,000 products that are added every day, you know, you're like, oh my God, like there's a, there's a where house somewhere where there's, you know, thousands of pairs of those camo print leggings, but that's not actually how Shein works. So Zara is taking a huge risk when they choose to manufacture, you know, a crop top, let's just say that, you know, electric green crop top, when they choose to manufacture it, they need to then distribute hundreds of those crop tops to their retail stores around the world. Right. And then if nobody buys them, they need to discount them. And then they're going to maybe be sold at a loss ultimately. But what Shein can do is that they can be much more nimble. They can just immediately put up, you know, a a listing for this electric green crop top. But in reality, there might only be a few dozen of those crop tops in existence already. But then if they see that it starts to sell, they can then use their software to immediately ramp up production. But the reason that they're able to do that is they don't own the factories. They don't have retail stores. It's basically this marketing and, you know, you know, sort of software apparatus that is built on top of these factories that they have relationships with. So that's the genius. It's like, instead of saying, okay, we're going to tell consumers that, you know, electric green crop tops are in this season and we're going to start marketing them and putting them in our stores. Sheehan says, okay, we have a hunch you might like this crop top. We're going to list it on the app. We're going to maybe send a few to some influencers and have them market them. But if it doesn't work out, we've only made a few dozen and they're not sitting in a store somewhere. We don't, you know, it's not a big loss for us. So we can test you know, that crop top in 10 different variations or two dozen different variations every day, and then, you know, find the handful of winners and then ramp up production of those. All of this begs the question, when clothing is being produced on such a scale, what's the human cost? I mean, what do we know about the conditions in the factories that are supplying Shein? So one of the garment workers who spoke with Wenxi told us that overtime in garment factories in China is pretty much the norm, that everybody is already working, you know, as many hours as they can, and production is already like stretched pretty thin. So to accommodate, again, you know, these kind of short turnaround time that Xi'an often requests from suppliers does add additional stress on top of an already pretty stressed system. With Shein's business model, it's pretty challenging to have oversight over 6,000 suppliers at once. And so the company says, you know, they work only with suppliers that meet international standards, but it is, you know, pretty difficult to know whether that's true or not. Who's actually designing the clothes? That's a great question. Um, So... The designs that are offered on Shein are often pretty simple. And one of the suppliers who spoke with us said, you know, it doesn't really take a lot of skill to come up with a new design, partly because the internal management software has so much information already. And so they know, oh, you're a supplier that makes, you know, soft jersey material. And this, you know, rich jersey dress is doing really well. So we want, you know, 500 more of purple jersey dress and we want it next week. You supplier X, you specialize in that material. We know you have purple in stock, like here you go. And so it's almost being designed by what's being demanded. So there's a little bit less, you know, kind of overt direction. 
I think a big part of what Shein is doing also is just frankly, they're, they're knocking off other designs that are already out there. Um, so what Shein is able to do really successfully is take things that are already trending sometimes from smaller designers, sometimes from bigger brands. And they've been accused a number of times of ripping off other, other companies. A number of big companies, including Levi Strauss and Doc Martens, have sued the company for trademark infringement. You know, the former actually settled for an undisclosed sum with the company. And I think, you know, we should say that this is pretty common in the fashion industry. You know, it's not unusual to go into a Zara and see sort of, you know, a carbon copy of a Balenciaga shoe or something. Right. But I think what a lot of smaller designers are, are upset by is seeing this much larger company, they believe, you know, ripping them off. It was a Friday afternoon when Nixie Killick, the fashion designer, opened up a message from one of her Instagram followers. It was a link to a bodycon dress that was for sale on Shein's website, and it looked uncannily similar to something she'd designed. If you think about the size of your screen, somebody sends you a message, um, the image is probably 10 centimetres by 5 centimetres. So seeing the photos of this listing at that size, I was like, that's exactly my dress. What the... Oh, like this is mind blowing. And then I went into the listing and flicked through and saw, okay, cool, it's missing this bit and that bit. I'm like trying to list the things that are not from the dress and zooming in and kind of going, oh my God, that's like a naive appropriation of that print. So it's the shapes are exactly the same. The colors are the same. It's just a layer or two of detail have been removed. It's just like, whoa. And how much did Sheehan have the dress on sale for? Uh, $10, I think it was. It uh, might have been $10.95. And how much do you sell your dress for? Uh, mine is 190 And that's, yeah, Australian dollars. So yes. that would be <laughs> around about £100, I think. Yes, I think it's something like that. Yep, totally. And then you posted about it on your Instagram and you got hundreds of comments, including mm. from other designers who said they'd had similar experiences with Shein, didn't you? At least 20 to 50 people messaged saying that they have had the same thing happen to them exactly from Sheen or from other companies. And luckily, I had a friend of mine who has had this happen. I don't know if that is lucky, really. But anyway, a friend of mine who's had this happen exactly to her um, about three months ago. And she, ha- she messaged me a slew of emails of real people. So I emailed all of those people. I got an email response from one of them saying, I mean, it was a very well-crafted, gloves-on, impeccably stated that it's been removed and they didn't claim any responsibility for the situation and also terms and conditions down the bottom said that it's in no way, shape or form an admittance of them doing anything wrong. And then further to that, you haven't had an apology. Not at all. No way, shape or form. They've taken down the listing. They have taken the listing down, yes. I mean, I don't even know how long it was up there for. And it was the cryptic frequency dress um, that you saw appropriated on the Shein website. So would you say that was weeks of work, months of work? Oh, yes. It was like this collection particularly took about a year and a half at least. Right. Okay. Um, It was this collection was the biggest one I've worked on um, in my entire career. I mean, in fashion, as in every creative industry, People are always taking inspiration Mm. from other people. Mm. And, you know, most of the clothes that end up in high street shops have been modelled or almost directly copied from things that have appeared on the catwalk. That is how design filters down to us all. 
what's different, do you think, about the way Sheehan is operating to, say, Zara or H&M, you know, your big high street brands? Um, it feels to me as if Sheen are really targeting small independent designers in the sense of they're off the radar so they can get away with it more more easily. Uh, The common thread from the people that I've spoken to since that have had it happen to them are that we are creating independently, making unique products, and we are, I guess, outside probably the band of of outrage, I guess, outside the band of outrage in the sense that if they tried to copy somebody who had a high enough standing already, they would not get away with it. A lot of people say, well, I need companies like Shein because I couldn't ever afford to spend the hundreds of pounds it costs to buy one of your dresses, for example. You know, I just want to be able to go to a festival or go to a party and have an outfit that I feel great in that's really exciting to wear and Sheehan produces dresses at that kind of price. Why shouldn't people be able to do that? I completely understand and agree with the situation of um, accessibility and price scale and things like that. It's just they have broken ground into a space that has really broadened the parameters for that. If you think about um, the idea of quality, even at, at the lowest level of of being able to afford something, but still buying something that you know has been made ethically. There is reasonable pricing for... Th- you can buy a item of clothing to wear to a festival that, you know, that can be creative and colourful at a reasonable price that you know it doesn't compromise on quality. And by reasonable, I mean you can get pretty low prices, but you still at least know that they're realistically created hum- humanely. I mean, when the prices are dropped that low and the breadth of new designs arriving at that high... It's a very questionable system. It propels an even more questionable system about the throwaway society of buying things for festivals at $4 or $6.50. Can it be reused? You know, it's, I think it's just such a broad conversation about so many ethical issues. Coming up, it's not just the cost to independent designers – The ultra-fast approach to fashion that Sheehan has pioneered is also taking a toll on the environment. Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America into Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there every Friday. Megan and Louise, another criticism that's levelled not just at Shein, but all fast fashion brands and at the fashion industry as a whole, is the terrible environmental impact. According to the United Nations, 
The fashion industry is estimated to be responsible for 8 to 10% of global carbon emissions. Why is the environmental cost so high? One of the reasons that, you know, fashion is so terrible for the environment is just it's extremely labor intensive in order to make garments, right? You know, we're talking about a, a large amount of water in order to dye the fabrics, creating these fabrics oftentimes these days from plastics, right? Like if you're talking about sort of athletic wear or anything that's polyester or not from natural fibers, you know, it's incredibly labor intensive. It's incredibly energy intensive to make these items and we're buying more than ever. So I think one of the you know most sort of powerful criticisms of Shein is what happens when an outfit costs less than your lunch, right? Or you can get a shirt for the price of a latte. You know, what is the incentive then to take care of that garment and ensure that it lasts for years, right? Like, you know, there's not a large incentive, right? If you can afford a new outfit for every night out because the price is so low and, you know, I think there have been complaints too about sort of the quality of Shein and whether the items are necessarily going to hold up. But yeah, I think I think it really is sort of this really dark side to the industry that is sort of always looming in the background. Um, and I think it's something that shoppers are definitely thinking about. You know, on social media, there is this big trend of these Shein hauls, right? And it's like girls showing, you know, uh, the big box that they got and they dump it out on the ground and all these bikinis sort of spread out over their rug and they're so excited. Um, and it's really easy to sort of take that one step further and say, what's going to happen to all of those clothes, you know, in six months, in a year, in two years, are you still going to be wearing them? Or does the sort of low price point and abundance allow you to cycle through those items really quickly and, you know, incentivize them to end up in a landfill? Is it difficult, do you think, for them to actually get a grasp on what's happening in their supply chains because they're not running their own factories. I mean, do you think that data is available on their environmental impact and and the the types of fabrics and the types of dyes that their suppliers are actually using? I think it's definitely difficult for them to know exactly what is happening in every part of their supply chain because they have used this, you know, light touch marketplace model. You know, they say that they don't work with suppliers who don't meet their standards. But I think we've seen this time and again with marketplaces is that because you are not, you know, building your own factory, making all of your own products. There's just no way to account for everything that's happening, right? We've seen that with Amazon or with Etsy or with eBay. It's really difficult to sort of, you know, do quality control when you're not in charge of everything that is happening in every step of the production process. So I definitely think it's difficult. And when the prices are so low and that's part of your appeal, there's not a lot of reason for you to, you know, implement a new strategy that is going to cost more, even if it's more environmentally friendly, right? If, if you need to meet that low price point. Is this the future? Like, are other brands going to be copying the Shein model? I mean, we're definitely seeing a lot of companies that are interested in repeating Shein's success with this type of business model. Cider, they are really targeting exactly the same market as Shein, but also claiming to be, you know, more sustainable. And they drew backing from Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the biggest venture investors in the tech world. 
So, you know, we're really seeing these are not just fashion giants, but tech giants getting involved in this. And to that point, one of the interesting things we came across in the reporting is, you know, Shein really found a lot of success by bringing many aspects of Chinese e-commerce shopping to consumers outside of China. And after Shein became so successful, tech giant Alibaba also decided they were going to launch a competitor platform targeting Western consumers called AliLikes. And if you look at the app, it feels exactly like shopping in Xi'an. Xi'an kind of showed that there could be so much success bringing Chinese e-commerce style to shoppers outside of China that um, even the kind of like original giants of Chinese e-commerce want to get in on the game. Are the CEOs of H&M, Zara, Forever 21 looking at this and going, right, we need to remodel ourselves on this and shut down our physical stores? I think that there's a high likelihood that a lot of traditional fashion companies are looking at Shein and wondering how they're going to be able to compete. But I think it's possible also that they see their physical stores as a differentiator, right? There's a lot of people who still like to go into a physical store and try on clothes before they buy them. They don't want to have to go to the post office to return things later. They don't want to have to wait a few weeks. So I don't think that physical retail is going away, but I do think that that Shein has really transformed how younger people shop. So I think this next generation that is growing up with Shein will definitely have sort of different consumption habits. I think they're going to be used to a really low price point. They're going to be used to, you know, being able to sort of customize what they wear really precisely and have lots and lots of options. And I think also we're going to sort of see style change, right? Like instead of the major brands that show their collections at Fashion Week a few times a year, sort of dictating what people wear. It's going to be a lot more dictated by what is happening on social media. And the companies like Shein that are able to tap into that, I think will find a lot more success. Louise, Megan, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We went to Shein for a comment about today's episode and a spokesperson for the company told us, Sheehan respects designers and artists and the intellectual property rights of others. We take all claims of infringement seriously. When legitimate complaints are raised by valid IP rights holders, Sheehan promptly addresses the situation. Sheehan suppliers are required to comply with a code of conduct and certify their products do not infringe on third-party IP. When non-compliance is found, Sheehan takes immediate action. Thank you to Megan, Louise and Wensi for their investigation, which you can read at theguardian.com. It's called How Shein Beat Amazon at Its Own Game. And while you're here, I want to recommend The Guardian's brand new newsletter called First Edition, in which Guardian journalists Archie Bland and Nimmo Omer will be bringing you smart analysis of the news you need to know directly to your inbox every weekday at 7am sharp. So you can scroll less and understand more. It's free and you can subscribe now at theguardian.com forward slash first edition. That's it for today. I produced this episode alongside Elizabeth Casson. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier and our executive producers are Maithili Rao and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian.